environment. everyone, welcome back to the Air Environment. I am an urban pastor named Jamin, and she's your environmental scientist, Erin. Erin, yay, that's me. I'm that guy. <laughs> that guy. That guy, yeah, that's I just me. Got, I just got out of a meeting where somebody kind of like, they said, yeah, we've been doing that for both men and female. <laughs> and... I was like, what? Men <laughs> <laughs> and female. I don't know oh, what that man. has to do with anything. Oh, because you said that guy. And then I thought of men. And then I thought of that funny thing. It has nothing to do with this. Okay, where are we at? <laughs> uh, well, you know, it's been a minute. Uh, sorry, everybody. You know, quarantine, let me tell you. <laughs> Good <laughs> just times. Gets, just gets to you. Uh, so last time, I believe we covered the ever popular uh, day gap day interpretation and the day age interpretation of the Bible or Genesis, <laughs> the whole Bible. That's it. Just Bible's day. It's for days done. And age. It's very yeah. old. <laughs> uh, so today we're going to try to <laughs> shove, I guess, as <laughs> much in here as possible, only because I have a lot to say, which is, you know. It's a podcast. If I didn't have a lot to say, why am I here? So here we go. Are you ready for this? <laughs> I'm ready for something. I'm not sure what's going on over there. <laughs> Sorry. I also just got out of a meeting. We are very busy people. So I, I just was it spent... a men and female meeting? No, it was a rewording. <laughs> it was definitely rewording stuff. Rewording a press release for the place I work for because it was very aggressive. And I'm like, we want this to sound nicer. <laughs> so You work somewhere where you have press releases. That's so cool. <laughs> Thank you. I think you. Nobody I... ever wants me to release any press. so Just find your blanket and hide under it. That's where we like you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Uh, so let's go back into our one last, one last, one of our last forms of uh, old earth uh, creationism that we're looking at. And that is progressive creationism. And that is the religious belief that God created forms of life gradually over a period of hundreds of years. So it accepts... Um, like mainstream interpretations of geological and cosmological estimates of the age of the earth and some tenets of biology, but specifically like archaeology and microevolution. Uh, scientifically, it rejects the fossil record. Macroevolution, which we've discussed before, is the evolution of a species over time into like a new species. And obviously, since they reject that, they also reject the last universal common ancestor. So what does it what does it mean when I say that it's create new forms of life gradually over a period of hundreds of years? Well, that it refers to basically they think 
there were small bursts of creation. So it's similar to the day age, but that where God like would create like all the plants and then it would stop for like millions of years and they'll be like all the animals and then it would stop for millions of years. So like followed by like, yeah, this is like stasis or some sort of equilibrium to so the world could adjust to the new arrivals in creation. And so they think this is this is supported by archaeological record because they're ignoring evolution. So if suddenly you'll be like, oh, chickens are here. But it's actually, if you look at fossil record, they evolved into what we know as a chicken. So, yeah. So it's they just appear all at once, fully formed, instead of gradually evolving into something new. Gotcha. Yeah. So I've this seen is... that Futurama episode. Yeah? Yeah, where... Professor Farnsworth and Bonzo the monkey or something oh like gosh, that are yeah. discussing. No, but you can't find the, the link between these two. He's like, actually, we have. Well, you haven't found the link between those two and these two. And actually, we have. And then somehow Professor Farnsworth accidentally creates a universe. And we're off topic again. Continue. <laughs> we're... No, this is... Like, because we're talking. I was interested. Sorry. Well, it's just, it's an interesting episode because, first off, you have a monkey saying evolution's not real <laughs> to Professor Farnsworth. But then, but then Professor Farnsworth is like, no, there's no God. And then at the end, Professor Farnsworth creates a robot that accidentally evolves into something and he realizes he just created something that evolved and he's therefore their maker. And then he's like, wait. What happened now? Does that mean <laughs> someone made us? So it was, it was a strange like two things fighting against each other, and then both of them having their own meeting point. I really like that. <laughs> Are you happy? Are you happy? I went into that now. No one I else am. is. Uh, well, I am. <laughs> Good. Other people will be. I promise. <laughs> I promise. I promised too much. So how does this uh, become interpreted? interpreted within the book of Genesis. So let's talk about that. Uh, so it's like seen as like creation was revealed pictorially in six days and not preformed in six days with God intervening periodically to create like new species, which then like, like radiated out or died out. So this allows like geological formations such as coal or yeah, cool. Or other fossil fuels, or like mountains, to perform to form like naturally, so they appear as like a natural like um, result of nature, and less like an artificial insertion of like ah, mountain here slap type <laughs> situation. So this uh, progressive creationist and astrophysicist named physicist named Hugh Ross adheres to a literal translation of genesis one and two so we go back into our issue with that one word do you remember that that word is, it is yom. it's the yom oh yeah right yeah where there we have the issue about what it actually means so that astrophysicist uh interprets that as like not necessarily a day but it's like oh a period of time it just happened so oh. this happens and always. So so each day that they're saying with this interpretation of that one Hebrew phrase, yom, means like 
doesn't necessarily mean evening and morning. It's just a determinist to this event. So there was a start of the creation of the person and then it's of like land and then it stopped. So that was one progress, one like progression. And so then it stops for millions of years until the next progression. So it's quite similar, but the day age is like this happens over periods of years. And then the day gap is a literal 24 hour day. And then there's a, the, a blank. So that's the, that's the difference where there's, there's no set amount of time with progression, progressive creationism, but there, but there's also no set amount of time between the gaps. But um, day, day age is literally like this day happened over a long period of time and day gap is 24 hours, bam, done, bingo, bingo, we move on. So, <laughs> bingo, bingo, I'm so cool. Bingo, bingo, like the gorilla's name in what I was just talking about. Yeah. So even Look at these, us being circular, bringing it all around. Look at us. That's probably what got it in my head, the bingo, bingo, bingo. 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 So these three, like, just like any Protestant arguing about what we baptize or how we interpret the bible this small difference created three different like branches of belief within old earth creationism so a bit of um history here is that it was uh developed at the end of the 18th century and was popularized popularized by a french astronomist named uh, George, Georges Colbert. So that's when he proposed like a series of successive creations due to catastrophic events. So he 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 believed, which is not consistent throughout progressive progressivism, which is what we're going to call it, that God would destroy previously created forms through small catastrophes, or like like the flood, and then repopulate them with new things. Uh, which I, I have no thoughts on that. It just sounds nuts. But <laughs> Re- Rephrase that again, because I know he, he seems to be taking an interesting turn here, but I have read one of his books. He is very scientific-minded, so I'm kind of okay. surprised. Oh, excellent. I really like this. See, I knew you'd know something. So he thinks that God had there had been a series of creations and so god created something and then destroyed all of creation through regional catastrophe like floods or earthquakes and then afterwards repopulated this same region with new forms that's why he how he thinks everything occurred so he's is and is he doing that through evolution or just like Bam, it's there. It, uh, literally just like wiped it out, every, all destroyed. And then afterwards, God was like, new thing. That's how God makes so, it. Zaps it. So after the catastrophe, it doesn't just evolve. It just bam, it's yeah. zaps it back. Okay, interesting. Yeah, that, that is an essential um, like tenant, I guess you could say, of the progressivism is that progressive creationism is that it was literally like, one thing and then the next it was just created there's no like there's micro evolutions within species but there's no macro evolutions where it's like this will evolve into this it's literally separate things never touch in the fossil record theories gotcha why what did you read of his i'm curious 
Uh, Hugh Ross, that was the, I think we talked about him last time. Um, oh, this is uh, Jorge Covier in the 18th century. Oh, I thought you Ross. said it was Hugh Ross. No, that was a while back when I was talking about interpretation. Hugh Ross, uh, he, he adheres to a literal translation of Genesis 1 and 2 and upholds the principle that uh, scripture interprets scripture. So that's how he, um, like, interprets Genesis 1. And that's how he's literal, like, but he still allows for evolution. Is that correct? Yeah, or? he ties the literal view of a lengthy, like, seventh day yeah. okay. creation, which he describes with the Hebrew word yom. So mm-hmm. it, it doesn't have, like, a specific, it could be 24 hours a year, it could mean time, it could mean age, it could mean eternity or always. Like, it has, like, many. Um, right. Yeah. And for most people, I would say that is the most middle ground you're probably going to reach between, (laughs) like, a scientific view and a biblical view. If you wanted your best middle ground, you'd say it literally happened in this order with science. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Fair. No, what I was talking about was the 18th century, uh, not astronomist, autonomist Jorge Cover, he's the one who was like, this happened, catastrophe. God killed everything. Then he was like, nah, we'll have giraffes now. And then he killed them all. Well, we still have giraffes. But he killed them off, and then he put something else there. I guess he'd be like, dinosaurs, no more dinosaurs, giraffes. So that, <laughs> that was this like... Is, this is still a, a thing? No. So this this is what started the idea. Of, okay. All right. You know, in the er, late 18th century, early 19th century, this really was like gr- people really grabbed onto this and was like, "Oh, cool. We'll we'll just have this be part of our theology uh, <laughs> in life." And this is supported by since this is also the time when geology was a new thing, geologists would support this um, because you can see it in the fossil record sort of because there were no more dinosaurs so what is the what is the natural conclusion so it kind of died off after that and experienced a revival around 1930 when Wheaton College when a Wheaton College graduate named Russell Mixter he he developed this view more in a more modern modern type of fashion where it's less about giant catastrophic disappearances and more it's like oh this day something happened and then we wait a while and let stuff you know acclimate and then the next day god will make trees after he made land and then we wait a while for everything to acclimate so that's when that's when it was picked up in the 1940s the american scientific affiliation was founded then it's an organization of Orthodox Christian scientists, which it is it's like considered a religious organization of like scientists and people in science related disciplines who also are Christians, not to be confused with Christian science, which is vast very, very different. <laughs> vastly different than this. So that's that's kind of like like a small like aside where it's like very different and they like move off of the direction of theistic evolution and they like give a more modernist view and that's where progressive creationism came in and this like popularized again like picked up in the 1950s and that's where it really gained momentum and is actually something 
that we can talk about now. So there was an evangelical philosopher named Bernard Ram, I believe. I don't know if you've heard about him. Bertrand. Bernard. Bernard Ram. Bernard Ram. So he was an associate of the inner circle of the AISA, which is the, what I said, American Scientific Affiliation. So he he really advocated for progressive creationism and was trying to get it, like, just separate himself from the young earth ideal. And that's really when the modern interpretation of this thought process really came into form. So... I'm curious on your thoughts then, you know, we're making progressions forward as to what we think about stuff. And then suddenly Mm -hmm. something from the 1800s resurfaces as like, maybe this was right. And would you say like, they're adding a new twist to it and that feels like valid science or does it just seem like you've discredited everything? I think, well, when you're talking about scientific concepts, you have to look at there. I don't want to say they're a spectrum because that's not the right word. It's more like we're, it's a constant learning process because mm-hmm. uh, up until like the, I want to say early 19th century, we thought that like, like things could just like spontaneously mold. We didn't understand anything about mold spores or like, like this is gross, but we thought meat just like grew maggots. We didn't realize that that was flies laying their eggs. So, so people didn't understand like parts of science. Like there's a really famous study where doctors would go from working in a morgue with bodies and then go and like deliver babies. And then the mothers were dying and they couldn't figure out why. And one doctor came in and he was like, it's cause you're not washing your hands in between. I just heard two this. Things. Yeah. So it wasn't you. Why are people talking about bloody doctor hands all of a sudden? <laughs> I, it's the time we live in, I suppose. Yeah, but like that simple, simple act of just washing the germs off of your hands was it just wasn't like people didn't realize that. So it probably it, it, it probably is one of those things where they look at it and go, well, that's ridiculous. Somebody just comes in like massive catastrophe and then just like zaps things into existence. They need time to acclimate. As we know, things take time to acclimate and that is supported by like the concept of microevolution. So I don't necessarily think it's them being like, ah, the past is probably just them like taking concepts that we understand now and applying them to past um, concepts and making something new gotcha. from them. That's just how yeah. we do all these things as creatures of earth. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, sometimes old things resurface. You're like, eh, maybe they were onto something and just completely missed it, and now let's think it over again. But then other times you have, like, old things come up where you're like, shut up, you know, like, <laughs> flat earth. The yeah. world is flat like they thought. It's like, what? No. Yeah. There's no validity in this. Leave it alone. You know, it's- it's like we have all this technology at our fingertips and it makes us simultaneously so smart and so dumb at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I was just curious. Like, I just wanted you to tell us how, how dumb is too dumb or so. I don't know. It's Flat like... Earth is too dumb for the record. <laughs> Flat Earth is round. 
Have you ever seen the Earth's curvature, Aaron? People have been to space, and, uh, but yeah. have you been to space, Aaron? No, but, like, see, here's the thing, is that people have offered to fund expeditions to the edge of the world, and flat earthers go, oh, no, I couldn't possibly do that. Like, they just, like, even when you can definitively prove that the Earth is round, they have, like, reasons for, like, not acknowledging it, so... Yeah. Well, as Neil deGrasse Tyson says, the world likes round objects. I mean, the universe likes round objects. <laughs> it really does. It or does not stuff. like flat things. <laughs> does not. Man-made things are flat. God-made things are round. <laughs> Can you imagine, like, if Jupiter was flat and you looked into space and you just saw this, like, land chilling up there, not like a ball? <laughs> Ah, Jupiter, the <laughs> land of Jupiter's the gas giant. So... <laughs> well, you had to bring gas into it. But I guess I could apply that to Mars. So sure. Just because Jupiter has a giant storm that's been raging for years doesn't mean it has gas. Jupiter is made of gas. <laughs> well, fine. You win this battle because I'm the urban pastor and she's the environmental scientist. <laughs> Which in this instance means I took seventh grade science class. <laughs> and also means, hang on, now we need to talk about Jupiter for a second. Okay. Can you walk on Jupiter? It's just gas? Not like it's made of gases. Like, I like you think you'd weigh more than because it's so big. It's not just like a ball. It's it's a very dense ball of gas. So you would actually probably weigh more on Jupiter than you do here. So you you could walk on it or you just float on it. Like it's got to have a core or a rock or something. Otherwise, it'd just be a star, right? Yeah, that's accurate. So it probably does have something in the middle, but it's mostly gas. <laughs> so it's like a star-planet hybrid? No, it's just a dense ball of gas, man. Is it a stanit or a a a plar? <laughs> I feel like I feel like this is something that Wikipedia can explain better than I can. <laughs> All right, trust in Wikipedia now for our answers. Good, good. It's more accurate than most things you'll find on the internet. No, I know. I just remember in high school you're like, don't use that or you're a moron. So I. <laughs> What were we talking about? We were, we were talking so about progressive creationism. Goodness. Right. We had actually right. kind of finished the conversation. And or it's just, it has. Railed us, yeah. Yeah, it, it, that, yeah, it gained a major resurgence in the 1950s through the culmination of all of this. And that's progressive creationism. It's co uh, complementary and also like contrasting to. Uh, day age and uh, gap views of old earth creationism. But what I want to talk about next is a different view, which is vastly different. And actually it's one of my favorite views because it kind of leans into um, what I want to talk about next week because it's like next week is going to be long. So, <laughs> or next time I should say, we don't know what weeks it's are. It's quarantine. What's a week? <laughs> One week is but a thousand years in quarantine. 
<laughs> oh my gosh. It's like this time has no meaning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Quarantine is kind of like day age creationism. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so accurate. <laughs> that we need a shirt. <laughs> the air environment quarantine is like day age creationism. Because like March, March was a month, but I swear that was five years. <laughs> it yeah. I need to go make a status update with this joke before you steal it. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> so accurate. I'm loving that. Yeah. Every day is an age. We don't know how long how much time has passed. Anyway, framework. Yeah, framework interpretation of this is an interpretation of Genesis. So uh it doesn't necessarily it leans into like the creation. So people who view um framework that like a framework interpretation usually view um either ha into adopt intelligent design or theistic evolution. Uh so they believe there's a creator and that the earth is very, very old. It's millions of years old. So this is more how they interpret specifically Genesis. So we're just going to talk briefly about how it's interpreted. We all know Genesis is seen as a creation narrative, which is not that weird because most religions have a creation narrative because you have to explain why we're here. Um, we've just discussed different interpretations of that creation narrative, and this is we're going to lean into more literary views of the creation narrative. Uh, I suppose I should stop talking. So uh, the framework interpretation, it's also known as literary framework, framework theory, framework hypothesis. It's just a description of the structure of the book of Genesis. Um, so there's usually, they take the first chapter of Genesis and they separate the six days into a specific frame. So usually what you have is you have three things that are created and then in the second half you are filling those things. So they're referred to usually like as triads. So the first day is let there be light. But we don't get the sun until day four. So that's kind of like, so we're making something and we're filling it. So day two is land creation, but we don't put anything on the land until day five. Oh no, it's dividing the waters. Yeah, so we're creating the waters from the sun. We don't put anything in it until day five. And day three is the land, land appears and the land produces vegetation. And then day six is when we put like animals there and man there. So... There's like, we're creating things and filling it. I'm sorry, I confused day two. Day two is when we create the sky and the water. And day five is when we put the animals that live in the water in the water and then the birds fly above the earth. So do you need me to recap that? Because that was truly terrible. Recapping creation or recapping? Like the framework. So it's like seen as there's like two triads and three kingdoms. So what we have is like three things that are made is the first triad and then three things that fill these boxes that we've created and that's the second triad and they're split into three kingdoms which is the kingdom of light 
the kingdom of water and heaven, and then the kingdom of land. So the first triad is let there be light. So we've created light splitting the waters from the sky. And that's the second part of it. And the third part of the first triad is the land and vegetation. And the second triad is creating the sun and the stars. And that's day four. And then the next thing is we create the birds that fly and the waters, the creatures that live in the water. And then day six is when we take, we produce animals that live on the land and then make man and that's the second part of the triad. So it's a framework. Does that mm. make sense? Am I making sense? Yep. Basically, God is building a box and then he's put things in that box. <clears throat> Which, when if you're reading this as like day to day, why would God create light and then not have like make the sun for four days later? Because we all know that because vegetation is produced on the third day and we all know that plants need sunlight to photosynthesize and grow so why is the sun because they can't do that at night so why is the sun not created until day three so it's just an interesting question to propose do you have any thoughts on this well, I just want to push back. Do we know that plants need sun, Aaron? Jamin, are you really going to ask <laughs> that plants need sun? <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. Move along. What a devil's advocate you are. You win this round, science. Well, I mean, it does, there, there are things where... Like, you could argue against it, where it's like... Well, he created light, and the plants used light. So does that necessarily mean they need sun or that they just mean light? Because we can create lamps that give plants UV rays. Like there are like criticisms that are valid to it. But it is very compelling when you look at it from a literary perspective where it's almost like a poem and you're reading two verses. That's true. Yeah. So it had it has been more successful now this interpretation where because it usually it didn't pop up until like 1920 something or other 1924 1924 where a man named Nicholas Ritterboss not to be confused with apparently his more well-known member brother Herman Nicholas Ritterboss who was a Dutch theologian and biblical scholar so this is a different his brother has that's an interesting just as a note your name is Nicholas Riverboss, but your brother's name is Herman Nicholas Riverboss, and your parents did, liked one of you more, and it was not you. Like, Herman. <laughs> Poor Herman. So it was first proposed in uh, 1924, and then in 1950 it gained traction, and uh, as like the framework has been successful in the more modern era because it resolves this conflict that we've been constantly talking about how all of these things that we've been discussing conflict with science in some way. So this marries the two. It presents an alternative to literal interpretations of Genesis narrative. And um, it can, you can use to advocate to some conservative Christians and creationists, both at a popular, like broad spectrum level. So it is uh, really 
good way to really slide that in if you meet somebody who is very like, let's talk about that. So you have um, you have a opinion based in scripture, and it's not just you talking out of your ears as opposed to your face. Aren't your ears on your face, Aaron? Yes, I realized halfway through that sentence I was trying to be nice and say something. That yes, was... I do win a, a battle here. <laughs> Head, shoulders, knees, and toes. Um, has nothing to do with your face. <laughs> nope, but I wasn't gonna push back. Yep. <laughs> uh, uh, this has been a lot of me talking. I feel bad for Jamin, who's just been kind of sitting, being like, I'm learning. Uh, no, I'm waiting to see where your framework goes here. That's it. That's the whole, that's the framework interpretation. God, three, cr- cr- there's creation kingdoms, creature kingdoms, light, sky, water, land, vegetation, cre- creation kingdoms. Creature kingdoms are like luminaries, I guess, the sun. Uh, birds and fish, land, animals, and man. And okay. then we've got God. Bam. So, so then, so then. Do you, does this, does this framework make sense to you? I'm just trying to understand, like, what is the conversation about the way in which God creates and that he makes in three kingdoms or because for me there's like a lot of theology in that i feel like what you're doing is you're saying this is the order in which god created the earth right i didn't know if that was a conversation uh no they're saying that this is a literary structure so it's similar to our conversation which would be around a literary allegory so it is not in literal this is not an interpretation the god created in this order it was placed in this order to be to make it more understanding so like it's easier to understand like he created the sun because he created light or it's mm-hmm. easier to say oh he put birds in the sky and fish in the sea because he had to separate and create the sky and the sea so it's basically like it's like like I said, it's like a poem. So the first stanza is "Let there be light," and then the second one is "The sky and the water," and the third one is "Land and vegetation," and then the fourth one rhymes with the first one, so it's luminaries, and then the fifth and the second pair off, so it's birds and fish, and then the sixth and the third pair off, and they're animals and man. Like not to sound like George Lucas, because this is the only thing I can think of. Like when he was creating the prequels, he wanted to be like it's poetry. It's like they rhyme. So, mm-hmm. like he wanted uh, the Phantom Menace to reflect a new hope uh, when they were creating the movies. So that's kind of like what day one and day four reflect each other in a way. Yeah. Yeah, I actually, I think the Bible Project podcast gets into that and tries to explain how there's this uh, pattern. Because, yeah. you know, Hebrew poetry and uh, we'd probably see it even more if we read Hebrew. I bet you'd catch on a few things. But either way, yeah, framework makes sense. Poetry makes sense and trying to comprehend the themes coming out of that. Because, again, theology was a lot of what they wanted to communicate here rather than science, since ancient Hebrews were not scientists. So, 
they wanted people to understand this is God. This is his order. Mm -hmm. He's the one who made it. What does it look like to live in order? And if you're not living in this order, what God are you following? Because they have all their other orders and their own mythologies type thing. So, Right. Yeah, and that, yeah, that's exactly kind of, that's exactly what the framework interpretation is for. Um, it, it's it's really nice because, like I said, it it provides peop- scientists who are Christians with an easy way of understanding it. And it doesn't really lean too hard into the literary allegory, so it's very easy to grasp. Um, so, yeah. Yep. Good deal. No? Any questions? <laughs> Any questions? Any questions? Uh, so the next time we're going to wrap up this whole series with our literary allegory. And I might just glaze over the differences in uh, evolution ideals just because I, I don't want to be talking about that all day. Because <laughs> we could literally be here forever. And I just don't want to do that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Would you say, I mean... Would literary allegory have some overlapping with framework view? They would, absolutely. Um, The reason I put it here today is because it was a nice lead up into it. So it gives you something to go with. And also it's not very long and progressive creationism, despite what I thought last time, because I was misinterpreting my research, um, was also not terribly long uh, in what we were going to be talking about. So I thought this would frame it in a nice like two-parter yeah like finish up one thing but lead into the next and then make him come back for more that's right come excellent all right well does that bring us to the end of another episode it does it brings us another end another end of this day i uh made my post about one day is a thousand years in quarantine. I have one like so far. Thanks for caring. <laughs> and t-shirts will be coming soon. Fab, I'll buy one. I would buy one, actually. <laughs> that would be very Perfect. funny. Perfect. I've already made more money than all my other t-shirts. <laughs> one. All right. Well, with that, that brings us to the end of another Air Environment episode. Thanks for tuning in. Sorry we're behind. Um, I blame Aaron, I guess. I don't know. Uh, That's accurate. No. Anyways, um, whatever I just said, if you were to slow it down and play it in reverse, it said goodbye and we'll see you all later. Rad. That's science for you. Bye. Bye.